Good evening. Welcome to the last week of A League of Their Own. How many have seen the movie A League of Their Own? Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Um, so we have looked at Esther, Abigail, Ruth, and Deborah, and tonight we're going to talk about wisdom. Uh, I'm going to start with a little bit of intro material, and then uh, we'll call up one of the wisest persons I know for a conversation, and that would be oh, Ann Wheeler. I know she hates me to say stuff like that, but it's true. So commonly, we have to understand that wisdom and knowledge are two different things. They are not synonyms. Wisdom is the application of knowledge in a timely way to a given situation. Wisdom is the application of knowledge in a timely way to a given situation. So uh, based on that definition, and I'll give you a couple of others, uh, based on that definition, some would say, and, and I agree with this for the most part, uh, wisdom is the artistic component of the science of knowledge. Mm -hmm. There is a science of knowledge, but wisdom is the artistic component of it because it's about timing, it's about, um, it's about instinct, it's about knowing how to apply it. And that, that, takes, that takes finesse rather than uh, necessarily... Um, uh, a process. Um, of course, I've always loved this folksy definition. Some of you have heard me say this before. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you don't put a tomato in a fruit salad. <laughs> I think that's a great way to understand wisdom. Okay. Also, how many of you have ever had a tomato smoothie? Yeah. See, that doesn't work either. Okay. So I like fruit smoothies. Okay, let's have a tomato one then. Yeah. Okay. Um, here's a, a definition of wisdom from a biblical scholar, which I think is also really helpful. Wisdom is the ability to perceive the true nature of a situation and to implement the will of God in that situation. So you can see how that works as well. So uh, other words in the Bible for wisdom, in other words, synonyms, if you see these words, in your Bible translation, especially in the Old Testament, uh, if you see these words, think wisdom, they would be discernment, insight, and understanding. Discernment, insight, and understanding. Uh, God in his word seemed to think that wisdom is important. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I'm just going to read through some scriptures, so don't try to keep up with me. You can take notes. But Proverbs 4, 6, and 7. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will guard you. Love wisdom, and she will protect you from the foolishness of the world. I love this line. Here's the thing about wisdom. Get wisdom. <laughs> Even if acquiring wisdom costs you all that you have, do not delay. Get it. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than, get, than gold to get insight rather than silver? There are also several, if, if, you, if you've done some biblical studies and into what's called genre of the different books and areas of the Bible, uh, you know that there are seven or eight different literary genres in the Bible, including one of the genres is known as wisdom literature. So Proverbs would go into that category, along with Ecclesiastes, Job. James in the New Testament is considered wisdom literature. It's also an epistle, so mm -hmm. it's part of that genre as well. Parts of Paul's letters would be considered wisdom. Certainly Ephesians 
chapter 5, there's uh, parts, Paul is at his proverbial best in parts of Ephesians chapter 5. Much of what Jesus preached and taught would be considered wisdom, of course. Uh, And some people would include the Psalms and the Song of Solomon in the wisdom literature as well. So here are some more verses. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord, or knowing God, is the beginning of wisdom. If you want wisdom, this is where you go. You go to God. You want to you uh, understand him in reverence. As Tom, our founding pastor, used to say, uh, the key to life is understanding who you are and understanding who God is and then living your life accordingly. Proverbs 19.8, uh, the one who gets wisdom loves life. Wisdom is a lifestyle choice, and it's one that has benefits. Here's Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Paul writes, Look carefully, then, how you live, not as an unwise person, but with wisdom, making the best use of the time, because the days are dark, corrupt, and evil. If you try to navigate this dark, corrupt, and evil world, this fallen, sinful world, with worldly and human foolishness, you will have trouble in this world. You, joy will escape you. The, de- the desire that everybody has for happiness, by pursuing the worldly wisdom, they think they're going to have happiness, and all it brings is disappointment and frustration. Uh, Paul says the way to navigate this dark world is to get wisdom. 1 Corinthians one twenty-five: The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. In Matthew 13, 54, Jesus came to his hometown and began teaching in their synagogue so that the people were amazed and said, where did he get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? And then finally, Proverbs 1, 7, the definition of a fool is one who despises wisdom. So wisdom is personified in the Bible by God as a woman. So a good question to explore is why is wisdom personified as a woman in the Bible? First of all, personification is a literary device which is used to personalize an impersonal concept. Literary devices or rhetorical tropes help readers to understand abstract or spiritual truths. So that's what God is trying to do by personalizing Wisdom as a, as a personifying wisdom as a woman. But why a woman? Um, I, all we can do is speculate because the Bible never definitively tells us, but there are some good speculations and some fairly weak speculations or weak explanations. Um, here's the first one that's weak. Uh, the word translated as wisdom in the ancient Hebrew is grammatically a feminine noun. That's weak because there's just way more to it than that. Uh, So here are a few others to consider. When Solomon writes wisdom literature, he is primarily writing as a father to a son. Wisdom, therefore, takes the much-needed space as the mother figure because sons and daughters do better with both parents guiding them. That's a pretty good explanation. Um, Here's another weak one. Uh, my My friend Joe would say weak sauce here. Some argue that it doesn't matter that wisdom is personified as a woman. It's like referring to a car as she. 
My Nuge Dodge Challenger, now you're involved in my car fan, my personal car fantasy. My new Dodge Challenger, she's a beauty. A car's not a woman, but we always refer to cars as, as she, okay? It's just how we speak of cars, weak, weak sauce. God doesn't do stuff in his word without a reason for it, okay? And then number three, uh, I'm sorry, uh, number four, um, this one is pretty strong. So I've got two weak ones, two strong ones. Just think about women, characteristics generally attributed to stronger women. For instance, mothers and the role of being a mother and the responsibility and the strength that comes with that. Um, the fact that women are nurturers. They know how to build others up and they know how to protect as well. They're counselors, okay? Um, it was, uh, even if we had had boys instead of girls, I know that Jackie would have spent much more time in those long conversations with our boys than I would have. She's just better at it, okay? Um, again, I mentioned that uh, women are protectors. Um, you know, if somebody started attacking Shelby or Darby, um, the, the, of Jackie and me, the person they should be least worried about is me. Um, mothers have superhuman mm -hmm. strength. Um, I'll tell this little story. Sorry, Ann, I'm going to cut in about two minutes into your time. Um, when we first started going to this camp in Iowa years ago, this is now probably, um, see, Darby is 20, uh, come, getting ready to be 27, so this would be um, 21 years ago. One of the things we love doing there is uh, canoeing or kayaking on the rivers in Iowa. Uh, now, years ago, we would go on these smaller rivers that had rapids. Now they only go to the Mississippi, and we do this on the Mississippi, which is absolutely fantastic. We're in the main channels, you know, taking on these big barges and everything. It's really fun. Anyway, but we used to go in these smaller rivers, and uh, we were on the White River in northeast Iowa once after uh, there had been several storms and uh, the leaders of the camp said listen we're going to go on the white river there are going to be a few bad rapids and and you just got to be careful blah 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 and there were not just a few bad this was this this was like raging torrent time and we had taken shelby and darby and of course we had on the life vests and everything um but the the canoe that uh jackie shelby darby and i were in got into trouble in one of the rapids and it got twisted around and it flipped over mm. And um, I, was, I was stuck. It flipped over so that my body was underneath the, oh. the canoe. Uh, and the, the canoe was on my neck. And I was trying to hold my head above water here. Uh, Shelby and, Dar and Jackie were able to easily get out. Darby was trapped completely oh, underneath. Oh, that would scare me. And, and um, this, I, I could not get the canoe up. I was not strong enough to get the canoe up. I saw Jackie without being able to stand on the ground. I looked and I saw Jackie without being able to stand on the bed of the river. She was able to a superhuman lift up uh, the canoe and grab Darby before she drowned. It was like, I wish I had gotten that on video because people wouldn't have believed. It was like, it was like the w proverbial woman lifting a car off of her baby, you know, and I'll never, I'll never forget that. Uh, women are, can be exceptionally good at, at being entrepreneurs. And then, of course, there's this woman um, in the Garden of Eden named Eve. Any re anybody remember her? Eve? Okay. Does anybody uh, know uh, 
when she was named Eve, what, what, what was said right after she was named Eve, if she was called Eve, anybody know? I can't remember. Because she is the mother of all the living. So God inserts that in there to help us to understand um, the characteristics of women of, of strength. So I think that's really important also. So that's all I got. Anne, it's time for you to come up. Oh, good. Okay. I've got 47 minutes for Anne. This is oh, going to be awesome. Oh, boy. I'm <laughs> excited. You should be excited. Oh, let me move this out of here. Hello, everyone. Ooh, so, there's, there's um, more than I thought. So Anne's husband, Steve, chose to be in Tampa tonight, so he tried to get a, as far Sunbathing. away from this as possible. So. <laughs> no, yeah. he's on a board meeting. Yeah. All right, so first thing I have to say is mm -hmm. just ask you, just tell us about Anne and Steve and okay. your relationship to redemption and what you do and all that stuff. All right, well, born in Illinois, 12 years of Catholic education, went to business school, worked my way through school by being a waitress and working at a, at a nursing home. And then um, went to business school and, work, and then worked for the prosecuting attorney. Loved that. Moved out to Arizona then in 1975 and started working for Snell and Wilmer. That was the first time I got, got to meet Steve Wheeler. Wasn't exciting then, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's here. Oh, that's right. This is taped. <laughs> um, anyway, um, and then um, I got I worked there for several years, and then I got an offer by somebody. I said, would you, kind of, would you come run my office? I said, sure. So I ran, I ran um, a, a, an insurance company's office. And then after that, somebody said, would you run my office? So then I was administrator of a real estate investment company, and I did office private offering memorandums, PR work, and um, bookkeeping. And then Steve comes back into my life and says, can we date and get married? We did. Wow. Four kids, 13 grandkids. Yeah. Did he really present it like that? Can we date and get married or just? No. Okay. No. 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 He did not present it that way. He pursued me and pursued me and I said, no, 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 no. And he kept pursuing me. Finally, I said, yes. And I go, okay, now where is this going to go? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, what do you mean? And he's going, I said, well, is this going anywhere? He goes, uh, uh, uh. I said, oh, I get it. He's, he, was, he was nervous. He was nervous about making that commitment. And I said, well, honey. If, you, if you're not going to make that commitment, you just go. Just go. So anyway, he apologized, and he called me up one day, and he said, I think we, we should get married. And I said, okay. So I said, well, then if you're, gonna, you're really serious, you're going to do it. So we got married two weeks later. And he did it all. Who married you? Um, Pastor Don Price. Valley Cathedral. Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh -huh. So were you going there at the time? Yes. And then you moved over to North Phoenix? Yes, we did. Is that what happened? Uh-huh. We moved to North Phoenix Baptist Church. Then we moved from North Phoenix over to East Valley Bible, which was Schrader's Church. Right. So we became Redemption Gilbert, and then we moved here. So did you move to East Valley Bible Church because uh, one or both of you started going to Priority Living and yes. you heard Tom teaching? Yes. Yeah. That was it. Well, then our yeah, kids were also living out there and going out there. Oh, they were. Uh-huh. Okay. So, and right. then Tom and Steve became very close, and... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and Steve spoke at his memorial service, yeah, as a yeah, matter of fact. That's did. how close they were. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this, I just have to mention this, because you stumped Steve with a question. Yes. yes. That's awesome, because now I understand why Steve will never let anybody ask him questions, but he's always the one asking That's the right. questions. I'm just glad he's, he's not afraid of them. Well, I'm glad he's not up here asking me questions. Okay. No. Yeah, I'm going to actually let you talk a little bit. Okay. So. All right. 
going to talk about wisdom. All right, let's start with your own observations and insights about wisdoms. What say you? Take as long as you need. All right. To me, wisdom is living in God's world, God's ways. It's beautiful. And I want you to pay attention to those words because those words are going to keep repeating throughout what God has showed me. And it's an incredible story. And it's a story of beauty. And, and, but I want to talk about fear first because people get the wrong concept of fear. This fear of, of, of the beginning of wisdom is a fear that is talking about the magnificence and the brilliance and the supremacy and the power of God that literally, once you understand that, it brings you to that poverty of spirit. It brings you to that, that you know your bankruptcy, that you want to trade everything in for him. That's, what that fear, that's where that wisdom comes from, that fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom. I'm thinking, how beautiful that, but you gotta know who he is. Because once you do, you really realize your poverty and that you'll trade everything for him. So then we go on to, I'm gonna give you a picture, and I think the wisdom is beautiful. She is that tree that's planted by that stream. And you're gonna, it's gonna sound like Psalm 1, because it is. Her roots go down deep. She bears fruit in season. Her leaves never wither. She prospers. But what is she doing? She's meditating. She delights in the law of the Lord. She meditates on it day and night. She sits in the counsel of the godly. There's wisdom right there. It is that deer that pants for water that just is not satisfied until it gets satisfied in God. And that immediately reminded me of the Samaritan woman at the well. And here she is at the well. And Jesus says, I can give you water. You'll never thirst again. She goes, that's the water I want. There's that living stream. It's the beauty of it. It's that beauty of just sitting in that and being planted right there. Then I have another visual. This visual the Lord gave me several years ago. And it's the visual, I want you to see a big circle. And in this circle is in the center is God. He's in the center of this circle. And under this, this is about his story and his glory. And who's in charge of this, of this, of this kingdom is Jesus Christ. But we have another circle over here. This is my kingdom, my story, and for my glory. And I'm the king. This is the problem. When we accepted Jesus Christ, we thought he was going to come live in our kingdom and make it all comfy. He was going to make it our story, whatever we have. Get married, live happily ever after, have a spouse that you never argued with, have kids that behaved all the time. You know your story. So what's happened then, but that's not what God did. He says, I called you to live in my story. You got it wrong. I don't want you to live for that story. And so what happens then, when we live for this story, we get God wrong. Because now we're saying, God doesn't love us. I mean, he's holding out on us. Now, what does that remind you of? Yeah. The Garden of Eden. Yeah, right. See, there was, two, there was two kingdoms there. The first kingdom before the fall was God's kingdom was the Garden of Eden. And, we, and what, is, what do we do? Submit under, man was always submitting under God's rule even there. And so then when the enemy comes in, when Satan comes in, he said, no, you can have your own kingdom. You can be like God. God's holding out on you. God doesn't really love you. So you see that conflict that we have even today. 
So God's trying to wean us from our kingdom into that kingdom. But that's the process that we have daily, and you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. So wisdom is understanding that God's called us to live in his kingdom, his way. But that doesn't mean, okay, let's look at some stories in the Bible that I think are incredible to point out that how many people thought they could live, they thought maybe their story. Let's take Mary and Joseph. Here they are betrothed to be married. I'm sure they have their plans, going to live in Nazareth, raise their kids with their family until the angel Gabriel shows up. Her life changes from then on. Her story no longer is there. Can you imagine nine months being pregnant with God inside of you, traveling to Bethlehem, mountainous territory, all alone? You see what I'm saying? Another story. Jeremiah, another story. God says, Jeremiah, I've called you to go to Judah to preach to them because they're committing idolatry. Jeremiah goes, no, I don't think so. God says, don't you know that before the foundations of the earth, that was the plan I have for you? To prophesy? It's like, no, it wasn't his story. It was God's story. You go through scripture, and you're going to see story after story where they're, they're, Daniel, do you know he never saw his parents again after he was kidnapped? See, that wouldn't have been his story. Our story is written into nothing goes wrong. There's no, no divorce, no rejection, no separation. That's not, that's, not our, that's not the story. But God says, come live in my story. So that is, to me, the wisest thing we can do is every day I get up and say, which story am I going to live for? So every time something happens... I'm saying, which story am I going to live for? Do I believe that God's truly sovereign? Do I believe that I have that fear of the Lord, that he's truly in charge of me, that I'm his, I'm adopted? We talked about that last night at RC. We talked about it on Sunday. Are we adopted? Are we called? Yeah. yeah. So um, this idea of, of uh, everybody has a story that they think is going to play out, in the sciences, they call those scripts. Yeah. Everybody has a script. Mm-hmm. Everybody has kind of a macro script. Mm-hmm. So... Mary and Joseph's macro script was that they were going to get married and Joseph was going to be a carpenter and they were going to have kids and mm-hmm. just live their life yeah. there. Uh, God comes along and changes their script, mm-hmm. um, the macro script. But we also have micro scripts. So every day we get up and we, and we think about the day and we have a script for that. We do. And, and the scripts are, inc- if you think about it, the scripts are incredibly detailed mm-hmm. all the way down to things like uh, am I going to be able to get a parking place at Lucy's mm-hmm. and will the line be short mm-hmm. and will they have two baristas instead of one? <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh-huh. And when our script gets violated, that creates tension, anger, mm-hmm. frustration for mm-hmm. us, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so one of the challenges, of course, is trying to determine whether the script that's, that's being violated is, is because God is violating it and trying to pull us back into his script and his mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing you talked about uh, in the past with regard to this was uh, this idea of staying in your lane oh, and yeah. the challenges that you have when you actually veer off of your own lane. Mm-hmm. Or I, anyway, I, I can't remember. How, I just remember being impressed by that. Well, so. I got Caroline when she was 17, one of my oldest granddaughters, when she was 17, took a driving course. And immediately I heard the spirit go, pay attention to this. So it was like, okay, the first thing you do, put your seatbelt on. I'm going, okay, wild ride, Lord. So anyway, put your seatbelt on, <laughs> check your mirrors, you got your rearview mirror, 
and you got your side view mirrors. But this instructor kept saying, you can glance through that rear view mirror, and the Holy Spirit said, that's your past. But you can't stay there. You're going to hit the person in front of you. You can't stay on your side view mirrors because what's going to happen, you're going to end up spinning out of control or into a ditch. So you've got to stay centered. The Lord, has a, the Lord has a path for you. You stay centered. But what we want to do, we don't want to be where we are. Nobody wants to be where they are. Right. They always want to be somewhere else. And right. the Lord says, this is where I want to use you. I want to use you right where you are, in your uncomfortable place, in your difficult situation. And you think, if I just was over there, the Lord says, no, I want to use you here. This is where I want to refine you and change you in this spot. So it's like it's staying in your lane. Well, then I heard many, many, many years ago, there was a guy who came from Las Vegas to preach at North Phoenix Baptist Church. And he said, those of you who... Mike, look, Mike Rochelle. Yes. Yeah. He said, those of you who look through your view view mirror, because you always look at your past. You can't get over your past. When you go home today, the only way you can, you can get home is driving through your rear view mirror. See what happens. <laughs> I thought... Yeah, I that's really good. So I, I have never forgotten that. Yeah. I've never forgotten that. Just stay in your lane and just keep going. Because we're, and it could be jealousy. It could be envy. I wish I had that. I wish I had that. Then you know what we, we missed out on? God's mercy and grace he has for us today. He has grace and mercy for each one of us today and what he wants to do in my life. And I would miss out if I'm paying attention to your lane and your lane and your lane. I'm going, I missed him. And he, he keeps saying, don't miss me. Stay in your lane. So you, you said um, about staying in your lane, about um, uh, how we always want to be somewhere else. Yep. Um, I even use this when I'm teaching uh, communication theory at like, Paradise Valley Community College. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see how the students respond to this because it, it, they say, yeah, I've never thought about it that way, but that's true. Uh, I say we're all discontent about four things in our lives. We're discontent with mm -hmm. who we are where we are, who we're with, and what we're doing. Yep. No matter what we're doing, we're sure there's something else that we could be doing that would be better. Mm -hmm. No matter who we're with, we're sure there's somebody else that could be better than who we're with. Mm -hmm. No matter where we're living, mm -hmm. you know, I've told the story many times about how the first time I went to Philadelphia with Shelby six or seven years ago, and how much I love Philadelphia and how much I thought I could live here, but mm -hmm. every person who lives in Philadelphia who found out that I lived in Phoenix, mm -hmm. they said, it must be wonderful to live there, you know? And I wish I lived in Phoenix. And, yeah. you know, so uh -huh. it's so obvious. And yeah. then, of course, we're all really unhappy with who we are. And that's only been accelerated by the internet and social media and influencers and mm -hmm. things like that. We're, mm -hmm. we're so jealous. And those side view mirrors are, mm -hmm. like you said, the jealousy and the yep. distractions of things like that. The rear view mirrors, what Paul would talk about, about forgetting what lies yes. behind. Now, just because Paul says forgetting what lies behind, it doesn't mean we can't learn from, from our past. True. And we certainly, can. when you look in your rearview mirror, you're learning about what's going on behind you, because that can be important. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to stay there. Paul, the, Paul, mm -hmm. the reason Paul says that is you start to let your guilt and your shame yes. weigh you down, and that's exactly what Satan would like to do to you mm -hmm. if you're trying to live in the gospel. That's exactly so exactly. stay in your lane. That's, uh, that's a great picture. I'd forgotten about that story about Caroline. Uh -huh. so but that's, it, that's it is really a wild helpful. ride, so you do have to put your seatbelt on because you have no idea where he's going to take you next. But isn't it fun with God? He is, it is a life of adventure. And I know, because he says, I know the purposes and plans I have for you. And he says, I already planned beforehand the works I have for you to do. And I'm going, well, isn't that pretty incredible? I just get up, get up every day and go, here I am, Lord. What do you want to do through me? 
Yeah. I'm going, I don't want to miss out on him, though. And he, it's yeah. been maybe 25 years since I've heard anybody describe as fun living with God. That's interesting. That's good. Uh-huh. I like that. That's good. Uh-huh. It's challenging, yep. tense. It is. You know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked a lot about the importance of wisdom, but didn't say very much about acquiring it, other than that one verse that says, you've you got to fear the Lord. You've got to get to know God. But how, how does... How does that happen beyond just necessarily getting to know who God is? Well, he says, ask. James says, ask, and I will give you abundantly. But, there's a but with that. There's a qualifier. You've got to believe. Right. But it is. It's being in church. It's being in community. It is praying. It's reading your Bible. It is godly counsel. It is everything you could possibly imagine in a Christian community that you're going to get wisdom. It's going to be through your trials. It's going to be through your tests. It's going to be through somebody else's trials and tests. I'm always teaching people from my mistakes, so hopefully they won't make them. But that's, I mean, that, but that's what I, I've always been one. The Lord's always showed me. I always teach from the seat of my pants because it's like that's just kind of I, I've always run life. And it's like, so when somebody said years and years ago, Ann, you should teach women the Bible, I said, well, I don't know that much of the Bible to teach it. And they go, and they, I felt like the Lord was saying, well, do you know me? I said, well, I know you how I know you. He said, just teach from that. I'm going, okay, I can do that. I can teach from what I know, but I can't teach from what I don't know. So whatever he's teaching me, I got to tell you, I don't like keeping it. If God's teaching me anything new, I have to tell somebody about it. I remember the first time somebody asked me to teach something out of the Bible. It was actually Jim Carter who really, asked me, yeah, um, to do that at some kind of retreat or something. And I had one little session, and I was like, I'm not going to do that. And 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 he said, No, you are. <laughs> and and so I did it, and I remembered. Um, that was my first encounter with the idea that the teacher actually is more blessed than the people receiving it because you actually get to learn all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, when, that's when that came to life for me, mm-hmm. that, that God put that desire in me to teach because of what it was doing yeah. for me. Well, you know, it, what it is, it's, we're preaching to ourselves. Yeah. Because when I give it to somebody else, it's like I'm really preaching to me too because it's like, I need to hear that. I need to hear back what yeah. he showed me. Yeah, about 20 years ago, there was a pastor in Scottsdale. I can't remember who it was, but um, he was talking somewhere that I was. He was the speaker, and, and he said, uh, the best way you can preach is to preach the sermon to yourself and then allow everybody else there to just witness that. Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll be amazed at what God can do through that. And that really stuck with me, too. Mm-hmm. That's know. good. Um, why do we find it so easy to turn to the world's wisdom rather than God's? especially when God's offering his wisdom free of charge. Mm-hmm. So why is it so easy for us to try to turn to the world's wisdom? Well, when I first think of that, I think, okay, I think of the two kingdoms. Well, the, world's, the worldly wisdom feeds myself. It feeds the flesh. It gives me that quick, fast. With, with God's wisdom, a lot of times we have to wait. We have to be patient on the Lord. And then we have to dig for it. We have to find it. We're, and we have to explore it. Like the, the, the word, we have to dig into it um, and look for it. Where the, the world is just easy. It's just very, very easy. It's easy to follow and lean into, but the results are not easy. No, no. Because they're enemies. James says they're enemies. The worldly wisdom and godly wisdom and, and godly wisdom are enemies. They're not even compatible. I mean, Satan would love for us to be wise without God. 
He would love for us to be good without God. Well, that's wise in our own eyes. Yes. That's the pride of life that John talks about in 1 John 2 mm-hmm. and that uh, was actually part of what uh, caused Eve to eat the, the fruit in the first place. Well, that's place. interesting you say that because I was looking at that tree of knowledge of good and evil. That tree is pretty interesting. The only tree they can't eat of. If you sit there and I thought, well, why can't they eat of that tree? Because God did not want them to have that knowledge of good and evil. He wanted them to know him. Now, what do we know about knowledge of good and evil today? I'm good. Everybody says, I'm good. I'm going to go to heaven. Everybody's bases their knowledge. Because who knows, who, who, who knows knowledge of good and evil? Satan. He knows about God. He knows this. But it's like, it's really interesting, I think, because God wants us to know him. And not so much this knowledge of good and evil. Because that's what the world bases everything on. You just blew my mind. I, seriously, I, that's, a, that's an amazing insight. Well, that's the whole spirit. It's I not mean, me. That, that's Don't one. give me any credit. There you go. It was worth getting in the car and coming down here tonight for that one, that it's, one nugget. It's all the Holy Spirit. So, and it's funny that you answered the question that way because the next question just sort of um, that I want to ask you feeds into that. Um, we often practice something called syncretism. Syncretism is where we think we can kind of mix a little Jesus in with the, with the world, mm-hmm. mix a little Jesus into what we really want and what we really like, mix it into our kingdom, and, and we think that's a pretty good way to approach life. Uh, we assume it'll be okay, but why is this mixing of wisdom so dangerous? Again, it's their enemies. They're not compatible. They, they, they will not work together. You've got to make your choice. What you're doing, remember those two kingdoms? You've got you to make your choice. Either you're going to live for, either for me or you're against me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you can't do it. You're living in the middle. You, the Holy Spirit won't let you. He'll convict you. If you're really his, he will convict you. Yeah. He will not let you do that. Yeah. And, but it's a process. It's such a process with the Holy Spirit of teaching us that and learning that. Yeah, you're either for me or against me. Yeah. Jesus says that in the Gospels. And it's always interesting to me to, the number of people I'll talk to who will say, I'm fine with God, you know, I, I, yeah. I leave him alone, he leaves me alone, everything's going to be fine. I got I a comment for that one. Okay. Remember when he says, Jacob I love, Esau I hate. I said, well, Lord, I don't get that one. Because look at this. You bless Jacob with 12 sons, you make him a great nation, and he's wealthy. He said, yes, but I let Esau be Esau. Now that's fear to me. That's pretty scary. Because he, would, he left him alone. He was not his son. There was no discipline. He let him alone. And I was like, that is a pretty scary thought to me. Well, that's Romans 1, too. Mm-hmm. It is Romans 1. And what it's also in, in Matt, he said, Lord, Lord. He goes, I don't know who you are. I mean, that's a scary thought. I left you to yourself. You, want, you didn't want me. I left you to yourself. Yeah, and, and Paul says uh, that, that the scariest thing that can happen to you in Romans 1, he says, you're, you should know that you're in real trouble when you say no to God enough that he finally goes, okay, I'm going I'm mm-hmm. to give you exactly what you want. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you believe that love is letting you do what you want. Okay. To me, that is scary. That is pretty it's scary. It's scary to me, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, let's see. Oh, good. Only 15 more questions. All right, so um, actually this here, let me, I'm going to try this. See how this goes. I want to read Proverbs 31. Okay. Chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. Mm-hmm. Anybody know what this is about? 
Yes, right. Uh, I want to read it, and then I'm going to ask you a couple questions okay. about it. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, mm. and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night, provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. This sounds like a businesswoman, like mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. okay? Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her mm -hmm. household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates... When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. So she's a retailer and a wholesaler. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. She's diversified. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. <laughs> I love that line. Mm -hmm. She laughs at the time to come. Mm -hmm. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Mm. Yikes. Mm. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. She's beautiful. She's that tree in Psalm 1, isn't she? She's just beautiful. She's so clear about her purposes. She's so clear in why she does what she does. And this is what I see, the two main things from, her, from that. She has a fear of the Lord, and she wants to bring best to her husband, the best she can for her husband. You hear that throughout all that. I mean, she is, she's outward-focused. She cares about everybody. She's upward, upward and outward-focused. She's not even me-centered at all. So the other thing is, it talks about all of this, all of this fabric and clothing yeah. and everything yeah. that sashes that mm -hmm. she's making, mm -hmm. but what is she clothed in? Dignity. Dignity. She's clothed yes. in dignity and the fear of the Absolutely. Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. Isn't that interesting? It is. It's beautiful. She, like I'm saying, this is not a checklist, ladies. This is not, oh, gee, I don't live up to that. This is an attitude. Exactly. I, it's an attitude. Yes. It's not a checklist of, because let me tell you, I know some of you, listen, you're lucky you get the kids at church on Sunday, they're yelling, they're mess. It doesn't say that she has a dirty house. It didn't say that her kids are okay. You don't, we don't know all that. But what she's saying, this is just an, this is an attitude. Yeah. It's, she's beautiful. But, she, it's, but Macy, it's the fear of the Lord that does that. Because she wants her, because I think of that, even with Stephen, I'm thinking, of marriage, and I love how God created the man and woman roles. I love it. I, I, so I studied Genesis, and I study that marriage a lot, and I'm thinking, I want to be the best helpmate I can for him so that he will be the best husband he can for the kingdom of God. 
I love that I get to do that. And I find that role honoring. And I find it rewarding. And I'm, I'm going, and it just delights me that I get to do that. I get to do that. How long have you guys been married? 40 years. Holy cow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. So um, I, I, I would, let me sort of add an interpretation okay. to what you just said. If there are any husbands here, Brad, I see you writing stuff down. Um, husbands here, you shouldn't be taking this passage and making a list, okay? Uh, but rather, you should be praying for your wife that she would have this attitude. And the wife should be praying for her husband Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to read that is because I've been told uh, on a number of occasions that that's just offensive. No. No, that's not offensive at all. Isn't I it pigeonholing women? No. I just think it shows off her beauty. I think that it shows off what God created her and designed her to be. No, I don't think so at all. I think, I think the world might see it, see it that way. But then if they take offense to it, it's because they don't see the wisdom of God. They see the wisdom of God as foolish. Right. So they would see it that way. Right. They're going to take offense to it. Yeah. But no, it's not. It's the opposite. I think she's okay. beautiful. Um, how does going through life's trials and challenges help us to become wiser? Helps me die to me. To die to me, to, 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 to my kingdom. It helps me come back over to his kingdom. It helps me cling to him even more. It, literally everything that happens, it's like the Lord says, what do you think about me now? Because in the Adam and Eve, does God love you? Is God holding out on you? And I said, no, Lord, you would never hold out on us. Never. No, so trials... Even in the midst of really difficult times. Oh, yes. Yes. And, you, and you've had some difficult times. All my life. Is it okay if I bring, bring yeah. that up? Yeah. Uh, what, have, what have you learned? What did you learn, and what are you learning uh, from the passing of your daughter? I'm learning I have a race to run, too. She ran hers, and she ran it well. And she was an incredible, incredible, beautiful woman of God that I will tell you, wherever she went, wheelchair bound, wheelchair bound, the gospel was not chained. She was chained. And she said, Mom, how can God use me? I said, honey, I said, let's go to, let's go to Paul. He wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel, and God sent him as a prisoner. I said, honey, I don't know why, but this is how he's going to use you. Everywhere she, she's talking to Muslim doctors, nurses, patients, and every one of them, hospice nurses, every one of them said, there's something about her. There's something about her. She ran her race well, and I told her that. And we talked about that a lot. She goes, well, I don't, how is God using me? And that's been the thing that I keep hearing, those two words, I mean, of run your race well and don't miss out. Because we don't know when God's going to take us either. And, I want, and she wanted to, and her Bible was always right here. And that's all she wanted to do, was read the word. I miss her terribly, but I didn't miss out on her. I miss her terribly. And there are days that are really low, but that's where God meets me. Yeah. And he's going to teach me something from it. So life, if, we, if I look through scripture, life being difficult was normal. And I think if we, and I, and I grew up with parents that, that went through the depression, their parents. So life was always difficult, and my parents always raised me. Life's always going to be hard. It's always going to be difficult. And it's going to be unfair. Just press through. 
and you don't stop. And so it's that steady plotting. I just got to keep going. And I know so many people, how do you do it? I said, I will tell you it's all by the grace of God. It's all by the grace of God that I'm doing this. And that's, don't look at me that, oh, you're, okay, what made people extraordinary, extraordinary in the Bible? God. They were just ordinary people like you and I. What makes them extraordinary is them letting God have rule and they live in his kingdom over their lives. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, talking about Kelly just made me think about this. Um, many of you know that um, this past Saturday, uh, a very good friend of ours and, and uh, one of the first elders uh, at Redemption Arcadia, Jim Moreland, passed mm -hmm. away. And um, uh, Jim's been a very good friend, and uh, we're going we're gonna to celebrate his life and memorialize him on Friday uh, here, Friday at 3, um, and hope, hope you can come. Um, it'll, it'll be a wonderful time of, of testimony to who Jim was, mm -hmm. uh, and especially his incredible passion and desire for pouring himself into younger men and helping mm. to shape younger men, and you're going to see that testimony on Friday. Um, I saw something else during his last year and a mm -hmm. half. Um, uh, I remember Tom's last uh, couple of years, I would, I would go over every Wednesday after the preaching collective, because mm -hmm. it was just a mile from Redemption Gilbert, I'd go over to Tom's house and spend a couple hours with him every week, and that was some of the best times I ever had with Tom. He just poured into me, talked to me. Um, for the last 18 months, I've been going over to Jim's uh, every week. And uh, generally, I would try to go on Tuesday because I wanted to call it Tuesdays with Moreland. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, but it just depended on my schedule. Mm -hmm. So I'd go and see Jim. And, uh, but I would spend however long there, 90 minutes, two hours, an hour, whatever, what I saw during that time mm -hmm. was not only uh, the grace with which Jim passed away, mm -hmm. uh, the guy continued to laugh at my jokes. <laughs> Even to two days before he passed away, he was still laughing Aww. at my jokes. It just, I, I mean, he just, that's how encouraging he was. Mm. So I, I got to see him die with tremendous yeah. grace and joy, but... Um, but what I saw even more was the strength of his wife, Pat. Mm. I did not understand the strength of this woman until I saw her move in and become his primary health care provider for that last 18 mm. months. She did everything. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't leave. She got help occasionally. Um, but she just, man, she was on top of it. And she never did it with uh, any hint mm -hmm of discouragement or, mm -hmm. or anger or frustration. She did it with just absolute joy. I love that. Like this is just, this is what I have to do right now wow. for Jim. It was, it was amazing mm. uh, to me. And so I see, in, I see now in Pat something that I'd never seen before, and that is that Proverbs 31 woman. Yeah, she is. You know. But you know, I look at that. It's such preparation to be the bride of Christ. All this, every, everything here, and it's like, don't, I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste this by living a life that is not glorifying God. Because people say, oh, you and Steve have a good marriage. I said, that word good, um, I have a hard time with. And I said, but does it glorify God? Yeah. I want it to glorify God. I want it to look like the, the scripture calls it to look. We haven't arrived. 
It's still a journey, but let me tell you, it's still a journey. But I love it. I love yeah. that, how that God's designed marriage yeah. and what he's doing with it, yeah. Couple more questions. Um, this is for those of you who are married. Uh, there's a guy named Larry Wright. Some of you remember Larry Wright. So Larry Wright would be Tom Schrader's spiritual mm -hmm. father. And Tom was kind of my spiritual father. Mm -hmm. So Larry's like yeah. my spiritual grandfather. Mm -hmm. and, and I knew him and I used to go to his studies occasionally as well. And what a, what a character <laughs> he was, I'm telling you. I could tell Larry stories. But I remember once I was at a uh, conference where he was speaking and he was, at a, he was at a men's conference speaking to men, and he said this, and I wrote it down, any husband who does not give his wife a hearing and listen to her wisdom is a fool. I think Larry has a point, right? Yes. So I'm gonna let you talk about that. Genesis, I think Genesis is incredible. incredible. When God said it's not good that man's alone, that he needs a helpmate, that was, for, that was one of the reasons. Men, and Steve will always tell me, he will always tell me, he said, Ann, you have no idea how powerful women are. If men knew that, he said, but you do such a great job, and be, but I, I work hard at it, because it's a choice I've made, but to have him respect me and trust me, that he always comes to me and asks me, what do, what do I think about things? Because he knows I'm, I'm praying for him, he knows I'm praying about everything. He always will ask me, but that's because it's been 40 years of doing this and watching God work in our marriage and trust one another and talk through things. But I think men need to listen to their wives more because they're praying for them and they, wanted, and they want the best for them. That's what the Proverbs 31 woman talks about. She's always fearing God and wants the best for her husband. It's beautiful. So I, I think also, I did, when I came up with this question, I didn't think about this until just now. I, I remember Larry telling the story mm -hmm. of how he came to faith, okay. how God saved him. Um, and we have a couple minutes, so I'll, I'll tell it, because it involves, again, the faithfulness and strength of a wife. So Larry, uh, some of you maybe know that um, in the 60s, he was the number one ranked DJ uh, in top 40 music, which was the big thing back then. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the number one ranked DJ on KRUX mm -hmm. here in Phoenix. This is back when AM radio was a thing, okay? Um, and they actually played music on AM radio. So um, uh, anyway, uh, and, and he was known as Lucky Lawrence. Mm -hmm. He was the prince of the city. I remember The guy that. was known everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so he meets this woman, uh, this diminutive little woman named Susan Fireball mm -hmm. woman meets her and um, he was quite the womanizer and all of that but she had she had that secret sauce and he said alright I'm gonna marry this woman uh, neither one of them were Christians and of course they got married and their their marriage was instantly in trouble um, so a friend of hers invited to her to a Bible study mm -hmm. and she started going to this Bible study and it was like a, uh, it was a couple's Bible study, but she would go alone. And um, so Larry heard about this, and so she'd go every week, and, and she'd come home, and, and he would mock her and make fun of her and tell her this isn't going to last and blah, blah, blah. And, and she would just kind of smile at him and go, well, why don't, why don't you come sometime and find out what this is about? Quit, mm -hmm. quit talking about something that you've never participated in and just come with mm -hmm. me. You know, you're more than welcome to come. Mm -hmm. Ah, I don't want to be around those people yeah. and all that. So over time, 
he kept thinking she'll get over this and she'll quit going and she didn't. So finally one day he said, all right, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And he started going and he started actually preparing for the studies. He would find out what they were going to be studying and he would prepare. But he, these are Larry's words, not mine. He would prepare by drinking shots of scotch and smoking cigarettes and reading <laughs> okay. the Bible. So, of course, Martin Luther once said you can't do theology without beer. I think Larry took it to the next extreme. <laughs> you know, you can't do it without scotch and cigarettes. But, uh, so he started going to mm -hmm. these Bible studies, and that's where the Holy Spirit got a hold of his life and, and changed his life in such a dramatic way that he left um, this lucrative, popular mm -hmm. position of being this, the prince of the city and became arguably the best Bible teacher that we've ever had in Maricopa that's, County. That's wonderful. And his influence lives on and on yeah, and on today. It does. Um, but that was this testimony of this, of this woman, Susan. Well, it's interesting yeah. you say that because I became a believer before Steve did. And I remember having Bible study in my home and the women would say to me, aren't you upset that Steve doesn't believe what you believe? And I said, listen, that's not my job to convince him. I said, I'm just going to be the best wife I can be for him. I said, God's got to work on him because he's a lawyer. And to ask and to try to convince him of everything, no way. Forget about it. So I said, I'm not the convincer. I'm not the convictor. But I said, I can be the best wife ever. And over time, because I didn't nag him, I said, I'm not nagging you. I'm not. He said, well, how can you talk to other people about the Lord but not me? I said, because you have something negative to say, and I'm not going to hear anything <laughs> negative. So I would rather not say anything, but he would go to church with me every Sunday. Yeah. And I, just, and I waited, and one day, we were at North Phoenix Baptist Church. We all sat in the very, very back, and I just said, okay, because he'd say, oh, we don't need to go, do we? And I'm going, well, you don't have to go. I'm not going to make you. I said, I'm not mad at you. I said, this is my belief. This is where I live. And I said, I'm not moving for you. I'm standing, I'm walking with God. Uh, in, in that sense, I said, but if you don't want to believe, I can't help you. Anyway, so there was an altar call. He grabbed my hand and we walked down. And I'm going, what did they say really? that hit you? <laughs> yes. Yes. Who was preaching that day? Dan was, Yeary. Oh, it was Dan Yeary. Dan wow. Yeary. Okay. Yeah. So this is post-Richard Jackson. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And it wasn't too long after that, we were teaching Bible studies. Because he was such a quick learner. Once yeah. he got it, he wanted to know it. And we, well, where we would do it, we were sitting in Bible study classes, arguing back and forth. They go, we're learning by your arguing. I'm going, okay. <laughs> so anyway, because, you know, Steve, he's got to ask a lot of questions. And I got to, you know, it's like, anyway, go back and forth. But it, it's really interesting how God worked in that. Yeah. So. In 1991, did Steve ever think he would be an elder of a church? No. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, no. He did, he Isn't never, that amazing? Mm -mm. Yes, amazing. Amazing. I've watched God humble him and make him such an incredible man of God that he is so handsome to me, and he's just his, and he's gentler, and he's loving. And he, he's just amazing. I mean, he's amazing. He really is, even though he asks a lot of questions. Uh. Stephanie, when, we, when you edit this for the podcast, will you edit that part out? I don't want Steve to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last question. Mm -hmm. This is a question I ask everybody. You should know it's coming. Is there a question I did not ask you that you wish I had? And if, if so, what is it and how would you answer it? You kind of have asked me everything, especially when it comes to 
the trials and the tests in my life and what's going on. And um, it's God's grace. I, I, I lean in more. I, I have to tell you something. I, I was t- talk, talking to our RC last night, and, they, and we went around and were saying prayer requests. And I said, you know what? I want to say something. And I don't have a prayer request. I just want to thank God for the sweetness that he's brought Steve and I through this year. Our marriage is still strong through it after Kelly's passing. And I said, and we're kind of in a sweet, sweet little lull right now. That didn't last very long. I got up this morning at 5 o'clock. I hear this noise. Our house is flooded. One end of the house. It was gone, had to be gone all night. A pipe broke. And Steve's in Florida and sunbathing, like I said. (laughs) Anyway, and I'm going. I literally, I think my feet hit that water and I was in shock. But God's grace got me through it to turn off the water, call the plumber, and call the insurance company. And I'm going, I feel like I'm kind of still in shock. And I'm going, and I have to come tonight to talk? (laughs) Because you know what else happened today? It wasn't life or death. It was stuff. It was stuff. It was, I'm going, okay. I don't get it, Lord, but you got a purpose in everything. We, the one thing I've learned from Elizabeth Elliott, suffering is never for nothing. God's got a purpose in everything. And I'm going, Lord, I don't know what it is. And I thought, hmm, is this like a baby, um, the, the, the mother having pregnant and the water broke, and I'm, I'm going to have a baby, some, 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 a baby come or something? You know, I'm going, I don't know what this means. But I, you know what I tried to quit trying to do? Figure out God. I said, Lord, I don't know your ways, your thoughts. I mean, we're, we, Isaiah tells us that. But I know, this is the three things I know about you, Lord. And this is what wisdom, wisdom comes down to, these three things. Humbling ourselves before the Lord. In a surrender and a trust. Every day, over everything, in every situation. Because we have a God who is so in love with us. And the most profound thing we could ever hear, I think as a children's, would say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. So you blew my mind tonight with that observation <laughs> about the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and then you freaked me out about you being pregnant. So <laughs> you did both of those things tonight. You know, pregnant with something, but it's not that pregnant. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you know how God, it's like, I'm thinking, I was like, Lord, is this a water breaking because you got a baby of some sort, sort of coming, you know, new birth of something? And I said, I'm ready for anything, Lord, after this. But I'm going, it's just a house. He's, he's literally weaned me from, weaning me from this world. I don't want to live with this kingdom. I want to keep weaning. It's a process. And sometimes, and he showed me something about grumbling because I was studying Exodus. And I learned something. God, God hates grumbling. So, but he doesn't hate grumbling this way. He only hates grumbling this way. So if you're going to grumble, grumble that way. And that's what I learned from Moses. That's awesome. Isn't that yeah. neat? Yeah. So I'm going, Lord, you get, I get to come to you with all this. I don't have to go this way. Yeah. Anyway. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming tonight. And um, I'm going to ask uh, Stephanie, who's one of our deacons, to come up. And Stephanie, it's a Stephanie fest. 
who is our director of operations, would you come up and let's pray for um, Anne. And actually, I'm going to ask Stephanie Shoemate to pray for Anne because you guys have. How was your trip? It was great. Oh, good to see you. Father God, we thank you so much for this evening and for giving us Ann Wheeler and allowing her the, the life experiences to now teach from so many things that she's learned from. God, I know that she's been a huge encouragement to me these past few months and Lord I just thank you so much for her being a part of our congregation and um, again just speaking wisdom into all of our lives Lord I pray that you would continue to encourage her lead her guide her as she continues to run her race as she was talking about earlier Lord we love you thank you so much for this time that we had tonight together in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> oh thank you. Oh, Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ann. All right. So uh, remember, we're going to start the Messiah series on June 14th, but otherwise don't come here on Wednesday. Well, you can come here on Wednesday nights. You're just not going to get in. Okay. <laughs> so otherwise, um, thank you for being here and uh, we'll 